You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, good morning. It's my privilege this morning to open the word. And if you're a person who likes to take notes and likes to have a title, well, the title this morning is Prepare the Way for the Lord. Prepare the Way for the Lord. If you're here regularly, then it won't have escaped your attention that we keep talking about next level. We keep talking about a new season. We, we have a sense that God is moving. These words, has not the Lord moved Will he not continue to move? And I believe there's a call for us as church to prepare the way for the Lord, that we have a part in his continuing to move. You know, a number of people have asked me over the last few weeks, how do I move to the next level? It's it's a good question. But the answer to that is also found as we consider how we prepare the way for the Lord. You know, preparation is important. In all kinds of areas of our lives, preparation is important. If you're going to travel, if you're going to go on holiday, there needs to be some preparation. Now, some people seem to pack their case a week in advance. Do we have any of those? Pack a week in advance. I'm more of a kind of last minute. I've tried the packing in advance, but I end up getting stuff back out. You like you put stuff in, and then you need it, and you get it back out, and then you can't remember what's in, and you can't remember what's out, so you start all over again. So you people who do it a week out, you need to explain to me how that works because I don't quite get that. You know, we have to prepare for Christmas. I was in Asda yesterday. I thought they'd begun their countdown of how many sleeps. I can't tell you how many because I was like, no, not ready for that yet. (laughs) We prepare, don't we? There are some people, again, I used to know someone. They used to have everything wrapped by the 1st of December. Wow. Everything wrapped by the 1st of December. Is there anyone here in the room who does that? Anyone here? No, we had two people in our first service. They put their hands up. So like, if you need some help in the next month, we've got two people who come to our first service. who have got loads of time on their hands. I'm sure would love to help you get through your shopping and your wrapping. The other time I, I realize we need to prepare is when we've got someone coming to the house. You know, you've arranged they're coming around, maybe for food, they're coming at half seven. Now, maybe this doesn't happen in your house, but what happens is around 10 past seven, there's a furore of activity begins, clearing shoes, finding socks in places that socks should never be. There's books, there's cups, there's plates, wrappers. I don't know, all sorts of things get found. We do clean our house, just to... uh, (laughs) But there's still this kind of residual, at any point when anyone might be coming, you look around and you think, no, we can't have people come while it's like this. But once, I remember not leaving enough time to prepare for someone coming, sitting down to dinner with them and realizing that stretched out along the radiator was still some washing. Not just any washing, underwear. (laughs) And then you're in a quandary, aren't you? It's like you're sitting there, it's like, do I try and remove it? Or will that draw attention to it? Has it not been seen? Am I best to just leave it? So I think I remember kind of sidling along and trying to like get get it behind me and... I'm sure they noticed. It was very obvious. But, you know, preparation is important. There's all kinds of situations in life where we need to prepare. And I believe we have a role in preparing the way 
for the Lord. And I want to bring us to a few verses that have been alive in me this week as we've been in prayer and fasting. So if you want to turn with me, we're reading from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. The verses are going to come up on the screen there. Isaiah 40 then, verses 3 to 5. A voice of one calling, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? This is the word of the Lord. We're going to leave it there for today, although there's many other wonderful verses in Isaiah 40. Isaiah, he was a prophet, a prophet who heard and spoke in around the 8th century BC. That's a long time ago. God was speaking to him. Isaiah initially had been called to pronounce judgment to God's people in Judah, mainly because over successive generations they had continually rejected him, rebelled against him and failed to turn back even when he'd sent people to call them back and point it out. And so this judgment had then been outworked, first at the hands of Assyria and then with capture and exile to Babylon. And Isaiah 40, where we come to these verses, it marks a real shift in Isaiah's ministry. It marks a shift in the book as well if you read through it. Where actually the message that Isaiah was given to speak shifts to a message of comfort, a message of hope, a message of restoration. His judgment, you see, had only been for a season. It had only been there to be a wake-up call to, to Judah that they might come back to him. God still sometimes does that in our lives, you know. Allows some things, allows some sorrow for a season to bring us back when we've lost our way. It says godly sorrow leads to repentance. So these verses were fulfilled for Judah. Isaiah would be that voice speaking in the wilderness of their exile. Preparations would be made. A way came where God overcame the obstacles and brought them out. In fact, he raised up a king, a Persian king called Cyrus. If you were to read on in Isaiah, you'd hear him mentioned in Isaiah 45. And if you read some other books in the Old Testament, Ezra talks about Cyrus sending the exiles back to Jerusalem so they could begin to rebuild. You see, the word was spoken and it was fulfilled. Isaiah was given it by the Lord. He spoke some things out and the word was fulfilled. But that's not the last time that the word was spoken. We find the words again in Scripture. If you're familiar with the New Testament, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all mention these same verses. Mark begins with these verses. Let me read it to you. The very beginning of Mark's gospel, it says, in the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You know, prophecy can be spoken and it can be fulfilled more than once. It was fulfilled back in Isaiah's day. 
But then it gets spoken again and fulfilled again in the life of John the Baptist as he's making a way for Jesus to come. These verses spoken of John, he was literally out in the desert baptizing people. A voice speaking out, calling people to get ready, calling people and preparing a way for the Lord. The way he was preparing was by baptizing them, calling them to repentance and forgiveness. So we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament, right at this point where God is about to step into humanity by taking on flesh and walking on the earth, right then God says, I'm going to raise a voice to make the way, to prepare the way, and he outworks it through John. The obstacles were going to be removed, mountains lowered, valleys raised, those things that opposed God's people being restored and brought back, they were going to be dealt with. Looking forward, if you like, to the atonement that Jesus Christ was going to bring, his perfect, complete work on the cross that we've celebrated this morning. He was going to really level the ground, make a plain way and move the obstacle of sin once and for all. The word gets spoken. It gets fulfilled, it gets spoken again and fulfilled again. And why do I come to these words this morning? Well, I believe in the Spirit the Lord raises these words for us again. They've been alive in me in a time of prayer and fasting. You know, when God is doing a new thing, there's always a call to his people to prepare the way for the Lord. There's always a call for us to prepare the way for the Lord and to get ready. And so here we are. If we're going to talk about a next level, if we're going to talk about a new season, if we're going to talk about God doing a new thing, then there comes with it a call to prepare the way for the Lord. You may well ask, why do we think God's doing a new thing? So here's a few reasons. Primarily, I sense in my spirit that God is doing a new thing. That shouldn't be enough for you to take it. We probably need a bit more than that. We always need to check what we're sensing in our spirits with one another. But I sense it in my spirit. I sense in our morning services, particularly since the end of the summer, there's a new season, a new level of engagement in worship so often in our services. We had that significant morning, didn't we, in September a few weeks ago. I know many of you will have been here. When there was such a clear sense of ushering in a new season of something in the spiritual realms. Really hard to articulate. But as we praised and something came out, a sound from us, and Pastor Nicholas Sarkis articulated when he says, has not the Lord moved? Will he not continue to move? For me, coming into this season, we'd obviously just had a few weeks away on sabbatical, and we'd been to some other churches in that time. And in one of those churches, at the end of the service, um, a couple of people had come and prayed for me, and they'd spoken some things over me prophetically. Now, we must always weigh what is spoken over us prophetically. But I was deeply impacted by what was spoken to me that morning. And amongst some other things, the person praying for me said, there's something on your life, and you need to begin speaking. She says, you need to say, hello, revival. They said, you need to start speaking it out. Don't wait for it to come forth. Don't wait till you see it. You need to speak it. You need to rouse it. You need to call it forth. Don't wait for the morning. You need to call it out and call it to come. So, you know, I came home. I carefully journaled everything that was said, and I've begun in my prayer using this, prophetically speaking it out. The city leaders met. 
City Praise and Prayer tonight. You may never have been to a City Praise and Prayer. You may have been and you may love them. But these are a significant time in the life of our city where as church leaders and as members of different churches, we gather together in unity and we call out to the Lord together. We lift up his name and we pray together for his kingdom to come in our city. And there's a team of leaders from different churches who meet to prepare and to seek to hear what God's saying about what we should do on those evenings. And when they met a few weeks ago, they came together and unanimously they all sensed a new season in God. They all came together saying, well, over the summer, God has been saying to us as a congregation that it's time to call out to him to move. It's time for us to pray and to push in. It's time for us to cry out that God would move in our city. How amazing to be in a city where we're not alone. We're not trying to do this on our own, but with other congregations, other God-loving, God-fearing people who are seeking him and sensing him. That sense that God is at work in our city. And then this week at short notice, I found myself invited to a small gathering, the detail of which I've been asked not to share at this time. But what I do want to tell you is, it was a meeting called because there's an Englishman now living overseas who was visiting the UK, and it was his third visit in response to a call from God to call this nation to prayer. And he came, he'd connected with a prayer leader from somewhere else in the UK, and they hadn't planned an itinerary. They were just coming to connect and to seek God. But in their planning and in their praying, they'd been led to Coventry. And through the conversation that morning and some different things that were teased out, really the conclusion was that Coventry has been marked out to be used by God. I say these things with caution. I've long since carried a desire in my heart to see a move of God. A move of God in our nation that turns our nation back to God. That's not a new thing in my heart and in my life, but I don't talk about it all the time. I'm not about to start talking about it all the time. We're getting on here, we're trying to build a church that can disciple people in a scalable way so that should the Lord move, then actually at least we're positioned to seek to help and disciple people to grow and to stick the course and be fruit that will last. And in the meantime, it means we get on with the job of bringing the kingdom of God where we are. We're seeking to make practical preparations as we also pursue a desire for God to move. I'm also not saying here this morning that I think we're on the brink of revival, whatever you might mean by that. I'm not saying that I think it's around the corner, but what I am saying is that God is at work. That some things are shifting and there's more to come. Some of us perceive this sort of thing more readily than others, and that's fine. That's why we're a body together. Some are more sensitive to those things. Some are not, and it, it doesn't matter, but it's why we're going to keep speaking. Will he not continue to move? It's partly why I feel the need to bring this word today, to speak out the call for us to prepare the way, to be alert to what God is doing and to make ourselves ready. Maybe to be willing to be the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God, that every valley would be raised up and every mountain and hill made low, to be those who make the rough ground level and the rugged places a plain so the glory of the Lord would be revealed and all the people together would see it. See, as I read these verses, I find in them a call for us to prepare the way for the Lord. 
I think there's a call in these verses that presents itself to us. And in it, I find three questions for us this morning, which I'm simply going to bring to us. And I believe if we'll answer yes to these questions, we will move to the next level, personally, corporately, and we will also prepare the way for the Lord. So first up, question number one, will you prepare yourself? Will you prepare yourself? The Hebrew word used meaning prepare in these verses is a word pana. I'm not a Hebrew speaker. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how it's written. And the key thing about the word is that it literally means to turn, to turn away, to be caused to turn or to give attention to. And I think this is really helpful for us as we think, what might it mean for us to prepare ourselves? It just means a turning to giving attention to. You know, John the Baptist, when he was preparing the people in the desert, he was calling them to repentance. We understand that repentance means a turning, leaving some things behind and giving attention in a different direction. We need to work, turn towards him. You know, I've noticed in our lives, it can sometimes be hard to stay on fire for God all the time. It's not always easy to stay passionate, is it? Most of us at some point experience some level of drift, let's call it, where we get drawn into things we didn't mean to and it takes our attention and dissipates our passion. It's so easy in life, isn't it, to get distracted? You know, I've got a phone, which is a phenomenal tool for me, but it can also be a source of distraction. I so often find something like this happens in my day. I go to put a date in my diary, so I pick up my phone. I noticed there are two texts come in that I hadn't realized because I always have the sound off. So I read the text, I reply to the text, I find a WhatsApp conversation and deal with that. And then for some reason, because I don't seem to be able to put my phone down without it, I check the headlines just in case anything dramatic has happened since I last looked at my phone. And then I put my phone down to carry on my work and realize that I need to put a date in my diary and repeat cycle. Is this just me or does anybody else have this problem? It's so easy to get distracted. It's hard to keep our attention where it needs to be and keep our focus where it needs to be. If we're going to prepare ourselves, then we need to turn back to him, to bring our attention back to him, just to realize we've got lost in an app. <laughs> we've got lost in a conversation, pursuing something we, we weren't actually meant to be doing, and just come back to put our attention where it needs to be. For many of us, there's some things we need to turn away from. Some stuff you watch, some stuff you listen to, some stuff you're embroiled with. Maybe there's some people that you're hanging out with. You know, we, did, we mustn't cut ourselves off from the world. We are called to be salt and light. We will help people find Jesus when we engage with them. But if we're spending time with people who distract us and pull us away from Jesus, then we need to, as a minimum, pull back from those relationships so we can attend to our relationship with him and give attention to him. How are you doing with attending to your relationship with Jesus? How's your intimacy with him? You know, there's some things in life that you can't borrow and you can't buy, and you can't borrow someone else's intimacy with God their experience of forgiveness, their time in his presence, their experience of his love. These things have to be gained directly from him. 
We grow in intimacy with God when we attend to him, to prayer, to listening, to his word, to, to worshiping him, to obeying him, to being careful with our lives just so we host his presence. We grow intimacy when we step out in faith. You know, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Believing him, trusting him, depending on him is partly why last week's next level offering was so important. It's important for final financial breakthrough, yes, that prepares the way for the Lord and what the Lord's going to do. But more than that, it provokes us to step out in faith. It provokes us to put ourselves in a place of being dependent on him. I think we all know, don't we, that we most attend to our relationship with God and our closeness with him when we're dependent when we know we can't do it on our own. Because most of us, we can be a bit inclined to have a go on our own if we think we can manage it. But a journey of faith provokes us to attend to him. You may have noticed in one of the testimonies that we read last week of a couple who made a pledge for Vision 80. And it took them the whole year to fulfill their pledge. And they, you know, they, they talked of the goodness of God in how that happened. But they also said, you know, it's changed our intimacy with God. It's changed our walk. It's, it's taken us so much deeper because when we step out in faith, it impacts our intimacy. It's a call for us to be obedient, to humble ourselves and to let him correct us and bring us in line. Part of us preparing ourselves is getting every area of our lives in line with him, not some but all. Let me speak for a moment about the area of sex and sexuality. See, because we live in a culture that says, frankly, you can do as you please as long as it's with an adult and as long as it's consensual. And God's design for us, expressed clearly in his word, is very, very different to that. Sexual interaction is to be kept for the intimate place of marriage, biblical marriage. And of course, there's grace where we fall short. There's no condemnation in this place today. There's grace where we fall short. We can repent. We can make ourselves accountable to someone that we trust to help us do differently. And we can receive forgiveness and we can move forward. But God's design has not changed. The morality of our nation has changed, but God's design has not changed. And if we want to prepare a way for the Lord, we must prepare ourselves in this area. So if we're going to prepare ourselves, we have to be willing to deal with sin wherever we find it in our lives, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our attitudes. Have you realized that actually that's one of the key reasons we need to read the Bible? Of course, we need to read the Bible to find out more about God, to learn about him, to be encouraged, to be blessed, to be comforted, to be strengthened. I find all of those things in the word of God, and I need it for that. But also it's there to keep bringing me back, to bring me into line. You know, there's a a famous verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training for righteousness. Wow. I have to say, I've started using that verse when I sit down to read my Bible. Because I, I say to the Lord, help me feed on you today. Help me be satisfied by you today. Help me encounter you today. But also, will you use your word to teach me, to correct me? to rebuke me, to train me for righteousness. 
I can't think of a morning when I ever sit down thinking, hey, bring it on, please correct me. Rebuke me this morning. My pride does not like this prayer. But I know that I keep needing bringing in line because I want to have a life that is preparing the way for the Lord, that makes room for him. And I need his word to help show me what in my life is not where it needs to be. And then, of course, for some of us, parts of our lives are a bit of a wilderness, wild and uninhabited, places that are closed off like hostile territory because we don't like what's in there. Stuff that's happened, memories, pain, issues, maybe failures, and so we don't visit there. We keep it fiercely closed. I feel like I've said many times in the last few weeks an encouragement to deal with the things in our lives that are like this. I believe the Lord is encouraging us as a people to open up those parts of our lives in this season. See, when we open up those areas of our lives to the grace and the mercy and the love of God, they can become highways for God. They can become places of such encounter with Jesus because they're naturally very deep in us. They go deep, and so then when we meet Jesus in those things, it can result in a deep connection with him. But the question comes for us this morning, will we prepare ourselves Will you turn? Will you attend to him? Will you prepare yourself? Second question this morning, will you prepare the ground? You know, Isaiah talks about the landscape here. Mountains that are going to be brought down, valleys that are going to be raised up, rough ground becoming level and rugged places, a plain. You see, there are things that get in the way, aren't there? of us seeing the glory of the Lord and experiencing the glory of the Lord. We've talked about some of the internal things, the internal obstacles, but there's also obstacles beyond ourselves, things in our culture, in our society. Unbelief, fear, a lack of faith, a rejection of God, a lack of conviction of sin, arguments, atheism, a confusion around gender identity and that says no one can define me except me. And of course, there's people's pain and journey as well, which gives them a misconception of God because of what they've journeyed and seen and experienced. What do we do with all of that? What do we do with all these obstacles? Because we can look at them and think, I'm just going to throw in the towel. This is too hard. There's too much. We've gone too far. Our nation is too lost. The valleys are too deep and the mountains are too high. We can think our city's too hard to reach. And were it not for the grace and mercy of God, they would say, absolutely, it's too much. But we serve a gracious and a merciful God who time after time after time comes to redeem and to restore. These words were first spoken to Judah when they'd rejected him and rebelled from generation to generation to generation, even though he'd sent prophets to speak to them and he brought them out and he redeemed them. The word came through John to Israel, again, not in a great place with religious leaders marching around and using their power in all the wrong ways. And yet God came through again to redeem and to restore. It's because of him that, yes, our nation might be in a bad way, but he is gracious enough. He is merciful enough. He is powerful enough to deal with the obstacles that would get in the way so that he once again can reveal his glory in our nation. Sometimes we have a part to play in fulfilling the word that gets spoken. 
You know, often God speaks prophetically that we might have a vision of what he's going to do and faith would rise. But it's not just going to happen regardless of us. He calls us to partner with him and to pray it into being. We see in 1 Kings 18, Elijah goes to Ahab and says, it's going to rain. I know it's not rained for three years. I know we're in a drought and a famine, but the rain's going to come. But then he doesn't just sit back and wait for the rain to come. It says he gets down with his face between his knees, right down to the ground in a birthing position. It's a prayer position, and he prays. And he keeps sending his servant to go and say, can you see anything? Can you see anything? And he's there praying, laboring, Lord, send the rain. Lord, send the rain. And the rain comes. But the prophecy gets fulfilled when the man of God prays. We have a part to play in preparing the ground, in changing the landscape for the word to be fulfilled. In our very own history here in this, na- in this nation, we remember today some of those who've given their lives in military conflict. And in World War II, there was a day when King George VI, with Winston Churchill by his side, called the nation to pray. You may have seen the recent movie, Dunkirk, but let me tell you something of the story. This is from an account written by J. John and printed in Premier Christianity. It says, on the 10th of May, 1940, Hitler unleashed a military onslaught on France and Belgium. Within days, the British army, outmaneuvered and unprepared, along with soldiers of other allied nations, found themselves with their backs to the sea and hemmed in by enemies. The German high command was able to boast with confidence that its troops were proceeding to annihilate the British army. Prime Minister Winston Churchill found himself preparing to announce to the public an unprecedented military catastrophe involving the capture or death of a third of a million soldiers. But it didn't happen. On the 23rd of May, King George VI requested that the following Sunday should be observed as a national day of prayer. Late on the Saturday evening, the military decision was taken to evacuate as many as possible of the Allied forces. And on the Sunday, the nation, our nation, devoted itself to prayer in an unprecedented way. Eyewitnesses and photographs confirm overflowing congregations in places of worship across the land. Long queues formed outside cathedrals. This is a photo of that day. Westminster Abbey in the center of London, people queuing to pray for the nation. And the same day, an urgent request went out for boats of all sizes and shapes to cross the English Channel to rescue the besieged army. In a decision that infuriated his generals and still baffles historians, Hitler ordered his army to halt. Had they continued to fight, the destruction of the Allied forces would have been inevitable, and the war would have taken a different, darker, and more terrible path. Yet for three days, the German tanks and soldiers stood idle while the evacuation unfolded. Not only so, but bad weather on the Tuesday grounded the Luftwaffe, allowing Allied soldiers to march unhindered to the beaches. And in contrast, on Wednesday, the sea was extraordinarily calm, making the perilous evacuation less hazardous. And by the time the German army was finally ordered to renew its attack, over 338,000 troops had been snatched from the beaches. Encouraged by Churchill himself, the phrase the miracle of Dunkirk began to circulate. And Sunday the 9th of June was declared a national day of thanksgiving. Dunkirk stands as an extraordinary encouragement to pray in faith. However great our problems, God is greater than them all. True, we're not a nation facing imminent military catastrophe. 
but we are a nation in need of rescue. We are a nation in need of deliverance. And there are obstacles. But when we pray, they get overcome. Impossible situations get turned around when we pray. When we call on God to move the mountains and to raise the valleys and to make the rugged places a plain. As we step into the next level, we must learn to pray, to prepare the ground because it changes the landscape. Personally, some of us, we've got mountains and valleys in our lives, issues and situations, obstacles and problems. And friends, the key thing we need to do is prepare the ground and pray, pray and pray and don't give up. Because every time we pray, it begins to bring the mountains down. It begins to raise the valleys up. It begins to smooth the pathway. If you don't see the answer straight away, don't give up. Keep praying. And for us here as a church, and in our city and in our nation, it begins with the preparation of prayer. Prayer that humbles us, that positions us dependent before God, but that connects us to his transforming power. His nation-changing, life-changing, city-changing power. Because when we pray, it changes the landscape. Will we prepare the ground? Will you attend to prayer? Will you learn to pray? Will you go to the next level in prayer in this next season? You may not know how to go about it. That's okay. You know how we all learn to pray? By having a go. And you know when you hear someone having a go at praying? That's okay, because that's how we all began. So there's no special way, there's no special words. These words in here are a really big help, but there's nothing else that we need to know really, and we just need to get started. Come to pray when we meet here on a Friday. Go to your life group and join them as they pray for one another. If you're not in a life group, join a life group. If you're in one, go to it. Use Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, to help you. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Come tonight to City Praise and Prayer. You may never have been before, but come and be part of us gathering. Some things in prayer are caught. It's not just taught. and God can give you a hunger and a desire. But the question for us this morning is, will you prepare the ground? Will you prepare the ground? We need to prepare ourselves. We need to prepare the ground. And then the third question is this, will you cry out? Will you speak out? You see, in the words of Isaiah 40, he says at the end there of the verses that we read, a voice says, cry out. God says, cry out. And then he says, and then I said, what shall I cry? You see, Isaiah had been commissioned once before. We read of it in Isaiah 6. And he said, here am I, send me. And he'd gone to pronounce judgment. But now God calls him again. He says, there's a different message. There's a different call. And he says, cry out. And Isaiah says, yeah, I'm in, but what shall I cry? I'm in, I'll shout it, I'll announce it. You see, the, verse, the, ver- the word for cry here means announce. It means proclaim, it means summon. Isaiah's saying, I'm ready, just tell me what I need to announce. Tell me what I need to proclaim. Tell me what I need to speak, and I will do it. So when we want to make a way for the Lord and prepare a way for him, We do that when we announce something, when we proclaim what he's doing, when we speak out in faith what we sense him doing and what we hear him speaking. I think sometimes we don't understand the power of our own words 
and the confession of our mouth and what we speak. They are more powerful than what we understand and they also shift the landscape around us. They bring down obstacles, but it takes faith to speak out. I wonder how many dreams there are in the room here just this morning, but you've never dared to utter it. You've never spoken it out because you're just not sure. You don't know what people will think. I can tell you, you will never see it if you never speak it. You'll never see it if you never speak it. Because something happens when we begin to speak out the things that we perceive in our hearts and our spirits. You know, this summer you'll have heard the story of our miraculous provision of a holiday by God. But nothing happened until something was spoken out. There was nothing in place, there was no provision until a morning when Mark provoked Martin and said, but what would you do if money wasn't an option? It wasn't wasn't a problem. (sighs) What would you do? And he spoke out some things. And within just a couple of weeks, some things began to move. Something began to unfold as he had spoken something out because our words changed the landscape. It's not that many years ago that I was at home and I was a full-time mom looking after three kids, serving where I could within the life of the church, but carrying a conviction in my heart that really we were called to lead together. And I know that can sound like really obvious when I'm in the pulpit this morning, but it was not at all obvious from where I was sitting because in my church, all the elders were male. He was the leader, I was the mom at home with the kids. Now this isn't something that I shared a lot. Of course, we talked about it. But I didn't share it, and I didn't share it widely because I wasn't completely sure. And I didn't know what people would do if I shared it, and I didn't want people to trample on my dream. There is a wisdom in not casting your pearl before swine. However, that doesn't mean we should be silent. And there became a point where I prayed into this, and I tried to lay things down, and the Lord wouldn't let me, and long, long journey. But there came a point where I became so convinced in prayer that this was what God was calling us to. That The next time somebody said to me and asked me, what do you think you'll do when Anna is old enough to go to school? Will you go back to physio? I actually dared to speak out something different. Not that I knew the answer, not that I knew the way, but I just had a conviction inside. I thought, I'm going to start speaking this out. I wasn't pie in the sky. I, I stayed real. I said, I don't know how this will happen, but I believe we're called to lead together. And although I can't see that being outworked and I can't see the way forward, that's what I believe God's put in my heart. And there were two separate conversations. I can remember them really clearly because it was such a big shift for me to actually speak it out. And within six weeks, six weeks, we were invited to come and to lead this church. A connection that came out of the blue. Now, our answers don't always come that quickly. Sometimes it may take more than six weeks. But all the time that we remain silent, there's some obstacles that remain unmoved. And when we speak and when we proclaim the things that we perceive, it changes the landscape and it opens up the highway. Mountains get brought down. Rough places get smoothed over when we begin to speak in faith what God is doing. So in preparing the way for the Lord, will you speak what he gives you to speak? Will you announce what he's doing? Will you dare to speak of what you perceive or sense in your spirit? Will you try to articulate even when it's hard to articulate? Would you be willing to begin to speak, has the Lord not moved? Will he not continue to move? Might these words be on your lips and not just mine or not just a few of us? 
Can we declare with God's, with conviction that God isn't finished with us yet? He has more for us as a church, more for us as a city, and that he is at work and he is moving because as we do so, we change the landscape and we prepare the way for the Lord. As we journey this year into next level, as we seek to redeem the pledges that we made last week, what we speak out is important, that we keep our confession of faith, not just choosing to be positive, Although make no mistake, in a community, speaking positively makes a massive difference to a lot of people. But that we keep articulating our faith, speaking what we sense God doing, because it prepares the way for the Lord. Quite simply this morning, there's a call for us to prepare the way for the Lord. Will you prepare yourself? Will you prepare the ground? And will you speak out? I believe that if we do, we'll go to the next level. I believe that if we do, we'll prepare the way for the Lord. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. the glory of the Lord will be revealed. As we come to finish and respond this morning, I'm going to just invite us to stand to our feet. Let's open our hearts to the Lord. You might want to bow your head where you stand. Give us a moment just to ask these questions and to let Holy Spirit search our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment. Will you come and confirm your word by searching out our hearts, challenging what is in us, showing us where we need to prepare ourselves, showing us where we can prepare the ground, and by stirring words within us that we can speak. Help us, Lord, we pray. That we wouldn't get distracted in this season, but we would remain attentive to you, turning back. Whenever we get distracted, we would turn back and attend to you and be captivated by you. And that Jesus, you'd grant us a new grace to pray in this house to bring prayers that bring down mountains and that raise up valleys. That we would partner with you and prepare the way for you to come and do everything that is in your heart. And Lord, we also ask that you would help us, that you would put words in our heart for us to speak out, words in our spirit that would resonate inside us and we would speak them out with conviction and declare words that change the landscape. We declare words that prepare the way for the Lord and that open up your purposes so that your glory would be revealed. So that all the people would see it together. So that Jesus, you'd be held in high honor. So it would be easy for people to find salvation in our city. It would be easy for people to find Jesus Christ and to be healed and to be made whole. There would be signs and wonders and miracles. 
that the streams of your river would flow freely in this house and in this city and in this nation. And Lord, that you would turn our nation back to you. We say that we need you, we love you, we look to you. And just help us please to play our part, to prepare the way for you, Lord. We ask in your name. Amen.